As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, the Associated Press does the best job on exit polls. The Wall Street Journal's got it in real time, which is fascinating. Which best describes your family's financial situation? Falling behind. Democrats, 34%. Republicans, a big majority, 62%. That's a good lead-in to David Kelly, chief global strategist uh, at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. So let's dovetail this into tomorrow's inflation report, David Kelly. When does inflation ebb away to help the 62% of Republicans who say they're falling behind? Well, I think inflation is, has already peaked. I think it is going to gradually fall. We're looking for a six-tenths or maybe even seven-tenths tomorrow because of a rebound in energy. But on a year-over-year basis, we might be down to a 7.9 or an 8. And by March, I think we're going to be down to something with a 5 handle on a year-over-year basis. So inflation is falling. But to your point, nobody's going to notice because uh, if you look at political leaning in this country, it really determines how people feel about the economy. People are, you know, if you, Republicans always feel worse about the economy when there's a Democrat in the White House and, and vice versa. Um, 75% of Americans believe the economy is in recession, even though if you talk to any economist, they will tell you, well, that's not actually true right now. might be next year, but it's not true right now. So how people feel about the economy and what it actually is doing are two completely separate <clears throat> things. Right. David, among the wealthy and among the haves in decidedly a broad part of America that are have-nots, they've got to recover from a bear market, this inflation, and a decided bear market in bonds. What's your 2023 strategy to begin a financial recovery? Well, I mean, certainly people are being, you know, have been hurt by the rise in prices we've seen. And also, you know, fiscal drag. I mean, things have slowed down a, a lot. So there's a lot of hurt out there in Main Street. For investors, though, the most important thing that happened this year isn't inflation. It isn't fiscal drag. It's the fact that prices fell. Prices fell for bonds. Prices fell for stocks. So we're just putting out our long-term capital market assumptions. We just released them yesterday. Uh, and, you know, we're looking for about an 8% long-term gain out of equities in the U.S., more than 10% in Europe, emerging markets, and Japan. So I'd say this is a time to be um, overweight equities for a long-term investor. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think bonds are back. Uh, I think it makes sense to have, a, a you know, a slightly below average allocation, but a pretty strong allocation to fixed income. So this is a time to get invested. I know people feel miserable, but as I said, the, the, there's a difference between what's actually going on, the economic dynamics, and what people feel, given the extraordinarily partisan nature of news coverage in this country. 
David, do you think that there is anything in tomorrow's CPI report from the United States that could change your assessment to go long bonds, to go long equities? Well, I'll be looking at, I'll be looking at service sector inflation outside of uh, the housing market. Uh, so if we see a big bump in things like, uh, you know, inflation at restaurants, uh, inflation of food in general, uh, in uh, a lot of household services, that, that would worry me a little bit. But I, I think, the, you know, we're looking at all these numbers and what they're telling us is that outside of shelter, inflation is gradually falling here. So that makes it very, it's very hard for me to be positive on or, or to worry about bonds that much. And the one other thing, you know, the one thing that's coming out of this election is there will be no fiscal stimulus before 2025. So at some stage, this economy weakens or falls into recession. The only game in town will be the Federal Reserve cutting interest rates to stimulate the economy. And I think that's that's the big takeaway from gridlock is gridlock means a more um, a more dovish Fed down the road. If they choose to cut, if they choose to turn dovish, and this is going to be the big debate through next year. David, thank you so much, sir. As always, David Kelly at JP Morgan Asset Management. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Right now, we dive to tomorrow morning at 8.30 in an incredibly important inflation report. We do this as measurement of the deepest market foreign exchange. Ibrahim Abari joins us, chief currency strategist at Citigroup. Inflation. I get disinflation, Ibrahim. What will that do to the resilient dollar? Well, we think it's a key driver uh, for the dollar and for broader markets as it's, as it's been all year. And we've seen this really big shift in sentiment on the dollar uh, relative to last week, even between Thursday and Friday yes. of last week, and all, all eyes are now on on tomorrow's reading. Our economists have a slightly lower forecast than than the consensus. Something like a 0.4 month-on-month increase in <clears throat> in core CPI after 2.6s, uh, about a tenth below uh, the the consensus forecast. If that was to 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 pass. We, we, we think that recent dollar sell-off has further to go. So we've had 2.5%. Right. We think that you can get another 2% or so down in the well, dollar as global. Ibrahim, frame it around a major pair. Let's take euro-dollar. I mean, yen is its own, own beast right now. But on euro-dollar, is it a big-figure move if we get a disinflation in America? How many parts of the euro will go through parity and up, up 101, 102, 105? Absolutely. So as, as you just highlighted, we're, we're hanging above parity again. And we think that if we get a low inflation 
number tomorrow, we will easily pass through 101. But I think 104 is probably the next uh, the next place wow. to focus in in that in that scenario. So really, quite a different picture from where we were uh, last week, and it's reflecting a little bit more China optimism. Again, the idea that maybe the the Fed can take the foot off uh, of the the gas pedal. But really also the luxury of looking into next year and, and sort of allowing allowing investors, we heard this from David Kelly just now, allowing investors to maybe see a little bit more downside risk in the dollar over time as the global economy normalizes. And we think that's premature. But nevertheless, I think that will be the theme if we get low inflation tomorrow. Ibrahim, let's get in the ways just a little bit. I'm not convinced that the end of hiking is the same as the end of tightening. And the reason I say that is because even if they end hiking interest rates and they pause, but the economy rolls over and they don't do anything, Ibrahim, isn't the Fed still tightening in that environment? Isn't that ultimately the story when you really think about it? Uh, absolutely. We are exactly on, on the same page. And that's particularly relevant for the equity market. Usually you have these two phases of the bear market. The, 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 the first one is monetary policy is tightening and you get uh, the derating. The second is earnings compressed and we get more and more signs of that and you see the continuation, usually the majority of the, of the bear market and that's very much our expectation. Now, when it comes to FX and, and rates, you also have two stages and the first stage is when do global rates peak or US rates peak and that's usually around the time of the, of the last Fed rate hike. So I think that last Fed rate hike does have uh, importance for rates markets, usually also is a tradable dollar correction but it's usually not the dollar turn. That comes much later when you see a turnaround, uh, a bottoming in growth expectations. Is that source for the dollar turn abroad then and not domestic? That's a, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very good uh, question. And I think right now we, we may think so. Again, we think it's, it's premature, but the focus has of late been uh, maybe some expectation of an easing of restrictions. It's not really reopening, but a gradual easing of restrictions and a bottoming of sentiment uh, uh, around China. There is maybe a, a, a little bit of hope that some of the market concerns around uh, conflict-related tensions could also abate over time. So I do think that when it comes to the durable turn, uh, the emphasis will be outside of the U.S. When it comes to the tightening, the Fed is obviously the most important uh, uh, factor globally. Just to underscore the point that you just made, Ibrahim, are you saying that this election, that gridlock, it does not do anything one way or another to the dollar, and that ultimately it has to be the drivers of the Fed, but more so even the stockpiles of natural gas over in Europe? Yes, uh, generally, generally, I would agree. We think that uh, inflation, broader risk sentiment, global growth are far more important drivers of the dollar than uh, this specific or even more generally political considerations in the U.S. Historically, the dollar did appreciate post midterm elections into uh, into year end. It is a uh, it is a risk premium for U.S. assets that tends to dissolve. You do tend to see an equity uh, price increase as well. But we don't think we'll see a particularly decisive outcome. And this year isn't like most. We have much bigger developments in the macro landscape outside of U.S. politics. And again, inflation is probably the first and global growth the second. So we don't think that there'll be durable implications from uh, the midterm elections, even when we know the full results. And uh, we are, of course, waiting for some uh, important ones. 
Ibrahim, we were speaking with Mark McCormick of TD Securities yesterday, and he was talking about the same thing that you were, some of the rumors of China perhaps reopening that have just been that, rumors, right, that have not really come to fruition in any meaningful way. He was saying that if there is some sort of material reopening, you could see a 5 to 6% uh, weakening in the dollar through year end, and even more through the remainder of 2023. How likely do you see that scenario? And in the off chance that it happens, do you see a commensurate type of weakening? So we don't we don't expect a breakthrough in reopening into year end and, and even seasonally that would be that would be hard to imagine. That being said, I think that idea that investors position for next year and generally speaking, particularly longer term investors would like to be exposed to cheap assets and and maybe high high carrying assets. So from both of those perspectives, the the, the dollar doesn't look as attractive as it has uh, has all year. So if inflation and the Fed allow investors to position in that way, then we could see, uh, again, a continuation and maybe not five or six percent, but at least the two or three that I mentioned could follow from uh, a soft uh, soft CPI reading. But I do also want to emphasize what we've seen over the last week, uh, particularly with China-related assets, wasn't so much counting on a big reopening in the short term. It was pricing out uh, some of the extreme pessimism that we'd seen. And in, when it comes to China specifically, obviously, the big asset price declines that followed the latest China Party Congress. And that's a bigger theme across markets. Big risk reduction away from the big themes that we saw this year. And that was obviously dollar strength. It was a decline in equity markets. But even in rates markets, we've seen rates volatility come down and the margin rates come down over the last two days. So it's it's mostly risk reduction so far. Ibrahim, thanks for being with us today. Ibrahim Rakbari there of City. Let's drive it forward. I'm going to do this through the show today, even as we look to inflation tomorrow and, of course, what we see in economics, finance, and investment on this global day. We go to Washington. Henrietta Trey's Director of Economic Policy, Veda Partners, has helped so much in the recent days. Henrietta, we all have our individual statistic. Mine comes from the wonderful Associated Press exit poll service that they do, the depth of it, that in Florida, Latinos voted 52% for the GOP. Is the Latino expansion happening much, much quicker than anybody believed? Good morning. Thanks for having me. I think that in Florida you're seeing that expansion, but it's not necessarily the case elsewhere. I would point to Arizona and Nevada um, as two states that also have sizable Latino populations that are not mirroring that trend right now. So I think it's isolated, worth considering uh, basically that every Republican on the East Coast moved to Florida over COVID, and that's what you're seeing right now. Uh, Very positive for DeSantis, very positive for Rubio, uh, but not necessarily for Republicans elsewhere. What does your capital look like a month from now? Well, even two months. Let's go out past the lame duck session. What does the Washington you know so well look like? Uh, They're going to be tired because the lame duck is going to be insane, is my expectation. Um, Now that Republicans have uh, not won in a red wave, I I wouldn't even call it a red ripple at this point. It was the worst showing for a minority party that I can think of. Um, since 2002, and that one required an act of war. Um, I think that the 2023 Congress is going to be lucky if they have a decided speaker, and it's going to be very difficult to govern. So that's optimistic for the lame duck session. Uh, We could now possibly see the debt ceiling, but it's going to be tough. 
And Lisa, you brought this up earlier. I'm assuming McCarthy's a shoo-in. I'm wrong, right? Well, that's what I was going to ask Henrietta. How much is this really up for grabs? What is the big question in your mind? We don't have the final vote tallies in the House yet, but he could be as many as eight, eight votes shy of becoming Speaker next year. It requires 218 votes, no matter how you get them. Um, and it could be that some Democrats cross the line to vote for him. I sincerely doubt that. Uh, but McCarthy is going to have a lot of people coming for his spot, namely Jim Jordan. How, what does it say about Donald Trump as the leader of the Republican Party? that the American voters are not going to vote for him the third time either. Uh, I think this was a very problematic night for Donald Trump. Um, I know he's set to declare on the 15th, or that's what he's been saying, but I wouldn't be surprised if he reassesses. Um, after he makes any kind of declaration, he's got 10 days to file with the FEC if he wants to seriously campaign again. He is down on fundraising against DeSantis. He is down in, a, in uh, Republican support by seven points versus the last time he ran. He's down by 12 points with independence. Uh, it would be ill-advised, and I imagine he'll be hearing that from a lot of folks today. When you looked at the exit polls, Henrietta, everyone was concerned about uh, the economy. That was the first and foremost concern, inflation being the preeminent uh, issue there. How much does this really speak to other drivers of people to the polls, potentially some of the social issues or other concerns, not necessarily what typically people vote for, which is the pocketbook? Exactly. I mean, you're looking at 8% inflation, $5 gasoline, and you're still going to keep the majority party in Congress. It is a huge referendum. Republicans need to focus on serious issues and have serious answers to the American public about how they're going to get bring gas prices down. It's not enough to just rail against whatever the Democrats try to do. The SPR release obviously has worked to an extent, and voters are a lot smarter than I think Republicans are giving them credit for. Um, and that's going to be something that Republicans need to reassess today. Again, if you're going to come in to an election as the minority party and not win the Senate outright or the House outright uh, and perhaps have the lowest show out in an 8% inflation environment, you need to really reassess your message. Henrietta, just quickly, what time does Biden announce that he's running for 24? Oh, good. There's the question of the day. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think if Donald Trump does not run, Biden will also not run. And we could be facing a situation in America that is unprecedented where we have two human beings that could run again that both choose not to. I think Biden's decision depends on Trump's decision. And uh, like I said, I think there will be some serious reassessing going on at Team Trump today. There should be. That decision comes November 15th at least we're expecting it to. Henrietta, are you suggesting that it might not come about at all? I mean, I know I'm wildly out of consensus on this, but it's been my view for a while that the polling and the fundraising dollars are sending a message that President Trump cannot win again. I think last night proved it again. I think he's facing serious threats from DeSantis. Um, we saw his own Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, come out in favor of DeSantis in his own way. Uh, we see the Vice President Pence is also preparing to run the very next day. He's dropping his book and holding a town hall. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges within the Republican Party. Henrietta, thank you. Henrietta Trace there of Vader Partners. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. Someone expert at this is Laura Rehm, Chief U.S. Economist at FS Investments. Laura, I really want to drill on inflation as we've been doing politics all morning. Do you presume that disinflation is rapid and suddenly, or is there going to be a duration to our disinflationary trend? I definitely am in the camp where I think inflation may have peaked, but boy, the descent is going to be gradual, and yeah. it's going to be far from steady. Um, I think at the end of the day, you're looking at key components, which are now sort of the cat is out of the bag. They are significantly higher. You're seeing it across sectors. It's not just sort of one uh, you know, area that we can cherry pick like it was on the way up. I think maybe that's the best way to express it. On the way up, we were able to really pick out clear single drivers. On the way back down, the picture is much more uneven and much more uncertain. Should the Federal Reserve care about rent and home ownership statistics? Uh, 100%, because that's the kind of inflation that makes people go to their bosses and say, my rent just went up 10%, I want a 10% increase. And even if that number has come down to 5%, even if it's come down to 3%, that is significantly higher than inflation and their target inflation. I think increasingly going forward, while we will still focus very heavily on the CPI numbers, we're going to start focusing on the wage numbers. You know, that's already something everybody's watching. But, you know, there's no way to declare victory on inflation when wages are at four or five percent. That also is much higher than the Fed wants to see. Laura, we were just speaking with Anne-Marie Hardern about the election, and she was saying, yes, inflation was at the forefront of people's minds, but they still have jobs. They still aren't concerned about their chances of being employed. When does that change? So this is one of the key issues that I get all the time. How's the economy doing? And while people look at growth and feel like it's stagnant on the jobs front, we are still racing ahead on all cylinders with an incredibly strong jobs market. So I think that, you know, the jobs market is the lagging indicator. I think the jobs market stays strong until the middle of next year. I put the economy on solid footing for the first half of next year. And I think the Fed is going to have to continue to raise rates past what markets currently anticipate is their sort of finish line, a little over 5% for the Fed. I think they may have to go further. And I think they're going to want to wait and see the um, labor market really break. Here's the problem. Given the last downturn, the companies are going to be more cautious about laying off workers. And, you know, you have what the headlines in, in Silicon Valley right now is very different from what you're seeing across small businesses, across every business, really on a week-by-week -week basis in the U.S. 
And we were just speaking, actually, with Neil Richardson of ADP about exactly this, that the tech companies are a very small subset. And we've been arguing about whether this is the beginning, though, of something broader or if this really is just uh, a specific issue to the tech sector. Where do you see the job losses broadening out in the middle of next year? How substantial will that be, given the reluctance that you just spoke about of companies to cut staff? I think, you know, when you look at the fact that we've lost so many of the sort of lower product, we're still hiring back a lot of the quote unquote lower productivity jobs. I think one of the problems there has been significant migration due to the pandemic. You still have localities where so many people have moved. You can't get the service jobs hired fast enough to accommodate the fact that some of these populations have really swelled. So I think that mismatch continues to keep uh, pressure on the labor market to stay very strong. I mentioned this in one of the recent hours, Laura. Let me do it again. In the AP exit polls, which are voluminous and, and really, really informative, they show this massive divide over the question, are you confident you can get the next job? And Republicans are less confident, let's call it rural, let's call it exurban, whatever you want to call it. But is there two Americas that are a job economy? And does the Fed have to react to two Americas or one America? So, you know, this is a a critical question. First of all, the unemployment rate is low all over the place. And when I say that, obviously there's divergence in localities between the unemployment rates, but overall it's lower than it was uh, you know, dur- b- during the pandemic, and it's really come down significantly, matching where we were pre-pandemic. I think the the real issue is that the Fed doesn't have the luxury of possibly considering two Americas. Their policies are not targeted enough. So at the end of the day, they're looking at this, you know, broad average. And I think the, yeah. what they have shown that they want to do is to keep the job market strong enough so that hopefully it can, over time, pull some of the localities that may be struggling in line with some of the better localities. But, you know, it's hard to say if that if that focus on a really strong labor market is going to change. I think they've shown that it has to if they want right. to get on top of inflation. And Lisa, we saw this yesterday with Welch of Vermont. If you go across Route 4 through the ski districts and all that, and if you end over in White River Junction, you ended over in a near depression 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was run down and brutal. Their unemployment rate is 2% now. Yeah. That's and, the shift. And you've seen this pretty dramatically, but I was thinking about what Laura just said, Tom, and this idea that if you start to see the layoffs in the middle of next year, since we're in Washington, D.C., talking about politics, what does that do to shape the narrative heading into 2024? It'll, it'll be, to me, that, and this goes to the idea of what will Biden do, what will Trump do, but it will be tick by tick by tick. Well, you know, but Lara, starting November 15th. So. But Lara is talking about, and Lara, I love your sense of this, <laughs> that you don't think that the unemployment rate could rise all that much. Where do you think it's headed? Where, in, where do we need to go? Uh, what kind of pain threshold are you expecting the Fed to acknowledge in order to get inflation back to their target? Pretty significantly higher. Um, I think we're headed to somewhere around 5%. Um, The Fed is notoriously bad at micromanaging where the unemployment rate goes. But just simply, you know, we are in a different labor market than we were 20 years ago when the Fed started fine-tuning these wage Phillips curve models that they have and that they so closely link to inflation. The reality is that 
you know, markets have have had to and companies have had to come to terms with the fact that you can't just flip a switch and get these employees back in the seat. And that I think, you know, Tom was talking about demographics earlier. I just think it's the often ignored tectonic plates that drive a lot of these factors. And I think it's one reason why it's going to cause the risk of a Fed overshoot because they are going to continue to have to step on the brake much harder to move that unemployment rate in the labor market conditions. Laura, thank you. Laura Rain there of FS Investments. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight, from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.